Hey guys, welcome to episode 37 of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. I'm Kurt Schilling. He's Bill Graff. What's going on, Bill? Oh, not a lot, Kurt, other than having a perfect game thrown. Yep, Wednesday and that's night. where we're going to start. 24th time in history. And when you think about the hundreds of thousands of baseball games, it's pretty amazing. 99 pitches, punched out nine. Fourth Yankee in history to throw a perfect game. First perfect game in over a decade. Felix Hernandez was the last guy to do it. Became the first player in Major League Baseball history to throw a perfect game after allowing 10-plus runs in his previous start. Uh, 72 of his 99 pitches were strikes. 51 curveballs. And his breaking ball was on. It, they weren't all curveballs. He was throwing sliders and curveballs both, and they were both on. But I kind of chuckled at the thought that I wouldn't throw 51 curveballs in a month much less a game. Average 92 and a half with his fastball, 17 changeups, and one sinker, which again, don't go by those things. I want to preface this by making sure you understand, and I'm talking about in the scheme of, of Major League Baseball. Throwing a perfect game is probably more about luck than talent because Pedro, Maddox, Clemens, Glavin, Schmoltz, I never threw one. None of us ever threw a perfect game or a no-hitter. And I think the number one reason is we all threw too many strikes. Uh, you have to be effectively wild to throw a no-hitter. Not in a perfect game, but you know, if you were going to build the perfect pitcher with stuff and mentality to, to have multiple no-hitters throughout his career, you'd build Nolan Ryan, who was always effectively wild, had dominating stuff. Verlander has thrown a couple, I think two or three. And again, I'm talking in the context of the big leagues. Bud Smith threw a no-hitter. Bud Smith couldn't have broken my glasses with a fastball uh, as a lefty. The one time I got, I lost mine in the ninth with two outs because I'm an idiot. Would have been a perfect game if the shortstop hadn't kicked a routine ground ball in the sixth inning. I punched out four that day. My stuff wasn't certainly wasn't dominating. And a perfect game, well, I don't know that you know it when you leave the pen. Maybe a no-hitter, but I've heard more no-hitter stories about guys who felt like crap and almost threw a no-hitter or did than guys who felt great. And it seems to me like it happened with German. He came off two awful back-to-back -back starts. Two starts back, he gave up seven runs in two innings and got yeah. yanked. He gave up 10 runs the next time. It's And again, I don't want to cheapen the fact. 24 times, that's unbelievable and incredibly rare. But there's a ton of luck involved. And it, in the grand scheme of things, the, the media makes it out to be a much bigger deal than it is. I remember people talking about... Uh, the Hall of Fame and me and like, well, he never threw a no hitter as if that's some sort of criteria to get in. But Nolan threw what, seven? Yeah, which is unheard of. And and his combination of stuff was perfect to do it. I guarantee you there were seven starts where he didn't get out of the second inning and walked eight, two over that career. Effectively wild. A.J. Burnett threw a no hitter. I think he walked nine, which should just disqualify you from having the no-hitter. Just meant that nine of the guys that would have hit off of him, he couldn't throw a strike to. So anyway, I don't know what it does to a pitcher's psyche. Uh, certainly coming off back-to-back -back bad outings, I would imagine it'll help him going forward. I don't know that it turns the season around. This kid's pretty good, but he needs to find consistency because that can't be. You can't give 10 up on Monday and throw a perfect game on Saturday. Good starters, teams can plan around good starters. And by that, I mean, you know going into a series, Garrett Cole's going opening night. So you know, won't be a bullpen-heavy night, and I can rest 
A and B because I know I got this guy going Wednesday and I might need bullpen help early. Uh, that's to me as as much of a tool and an asset for for consistently good pitchers as anything is the ability to kind of manage around their starts and understand what you're getting before the game starts for the most part. So anyway, hope he does well. I mean, he's a good kid. It was a dominating start. There, you know, the luck thing. I don't know. I saw some plays. Rizzo made a play. Donaldson made a play, which in games like that usually happens. You know, I, I remember I, I still I think it's the greatest catch I've ever seen was uh, Mark Burley for the White Sox. Dwayne Wise, I think it was, made a catch over the wall in the ninth inning off Gabe Kapler. I think that's the most clutch catch in the history of clutch catches because he ended up throwing the no-no. And then we're going to flip right to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Alex Manoa. Went down to the rookie-level Florida complex. And I, you need to understand before I tell you what he did. The rookie-level complex, for the most part, will be your 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old Latin American players who are in the country early in their careers, learning the ways of the land and understand, you know, they're raw, they're as raw as can be. For the most part, you're not going to go down there. You're not going to walk people because these, you know, Latin American players are notorious for being very aggressive at the plate. But it's where you kind of, you might go. I remember uh, Doc Holliday did the same thing with the Blue Jays in early in the 2000s because I had a long talk with him before he went down. So anyway, Manoa goes down. They're going to get him some work and, and kind of build his confidence up. Unfortunately, over two and two thirds of his start, he gave up 10 hits, two home runs, two walks, and 11 runs. He's allowed 45 runs in 58 innings. That's adding in the rookie ball game. Last year, uh, as a rookie, he was 9-2 with the 3-2. Last year, he gave up 55 runs in 196 innings and got Cy Young votes. This is a total start-over project. This is the kind of guy I go down there and I say, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. You and I are just going to sit and talk. And everything that's come before today is irrelevant. None of it matters. None of it. None of it's going to be an impact going forward. We're going to build a new pitcher with your four pitches, three pitches, starting from the ground up, and and then you just work for the next twenty or thirty minutes, just instilling a ton of confidence in him as he throws it. Because I guarantee his bullpen still look fine. He's in that rabbit hole. I was down once in my career, which is you're standing on the mound, terrified to let go of the baseball, because everything you think is going to Every pitch you think is going to be a double. It's a horribly lonely place to be. We could find out, Bill, you remember Rick Ankiel and sure. uh, a couple different guys who went who went south. It turns out that Ankiel was hurt initially and other stuff happened, but he could be hurt. I, I don't think he is because in all of these scouting reports, you're not hearing about a loss of stuff. You're not hearing about, here's a guy who was 92 last year and he's 86 this year. None of those are, and those would be very prominent in the comments. So, this is a guy, for all you young athletes out there, you can't, and I, and I say this in a, in a very loving way, you can't comprehend the power of your mind. You can't begin to understand it because it's a wisdom thing. You can't begin to understand it for the most part. There are rare exceptions. You can't begin to understand it because you haven't experienced the highs and lows of what it can do for you or against you. As someone who has both on the field and off, I can tell you your ceiling for yourself is far below the ceiling that you could get to if you actually put your mind and let your mind help you do it. The bottom, the the Alex Manoa rut uh, for a professional athlete, this is bottom, right? This is the bottom of the, it doesn't get worse than this. You are effectively are standing on the mound and you can't do your job, but you still have to try and you're doing it in front of people. It's embarrassing. 
It's embarrassing. It, it's a pride sucking. All that stuff needs to be wiped out. Um, and you do it with a real 30 minutes in the bullpen. Hey, we're starting over. And then you make him understand that, okay, the fastball that you just threw down and away, that's pitching. You're leaving the ball in the middle plate consistently you should, and video, and you know that. And it's kind of a pep talk, but it's a pitcher-to-pitcher, 30-minute situation where you just say, listen, here's what we're going to do. And then you watch him, and you, you, I'll call it you Johnny Padres him. In 30 minutes, you make him understand at the end, dude, you can get anybody out. You're not doing it right now, but most of that's self-induced and self-inflicted. And I want to see him... My guess too, Kurt, is in 2023, there's also doctors involved and sports psychologists, which Which can be the worst possible. Can be the worst or the best. Ever or the best. It takes a very unique sports psychologist, uh, which they are, to, to step into something like this. Yeah. Because what you're actually trying to do is engage the brain less, right? He's over thinking, overdoing, everything he's doing, he's doing it by a factor of 100 multiplied. And he actually needs to be doing it by a factor of 50% because he's getting in his own way. Uh, and we're going to go right back up the mountain here. And, and I was telling you, Bill, before the show, if I go out and throw six and a third, punch out 10 and give up an earned run. Now, I'm a little bitter about the six and a third, but okay. But I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going back to the hotel. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty sexy. I might watch baseball tonight to catch a few of the punch outs. However, if I do that same thing and I go three for three with two bombs, well, I don't know. I couldn't <laughs> tell you how I would feel. Um, it'd be a good night. It'd be champagne for everybody on a pretty consistent basis. Here's the list. Milt Pappas in 1961, Pedro Romo, Ramos in 1963, Rick Wise in 71, Madison Bumgarner in 17, and Zach Granke in 19. Ten punch-outs and two home runs in a game. Otani joins the list in 23. I don't know. I, I, Bill, I don't know what to say. What else? What haven't we said? He is the most unique baseball player in our lifetime. He probably is the most unique baseball player in the history of the game. And this is a generation of people who are privileged to get to watch this. And let me just add to the fact that everything about this kid seems legit as a person, too, which I think is awesome. My question for you, Kurt, is do you think because of what he's doing, we might see a few more guys yes. going forward, like the kid t- from yeah. Florida. Yeah. I told uh, you, the kid, uh, Bo Hollins. The Bo kid Hollins, yeah. yeah. The kid from Florida. Because, again, if you think about this, he'll probably he'll probably get a half a billion dollar deal, $50 million a year, which, in the grand scheme of things, you're underpaying by a lot for $25 million for each because he's a 35, 40 million. If Max Scherzer is a $43 million pitcher, Shohei Otani is. If some of these players out there are 35, 45 million dollar hitters, he is every bit the same. Uh, I saw, I read a lengthy piece yesterday. He's in the top 10 of the triple crown categories for both. Think about that. He's in the top 10, which is ERA, strikeouts and wins, batting average, home runs and RBIs. He's in all six, the top 10. You know, winning a triple crown happens once in a century. Winning both, well, obviously, it's never happened. That's kind of crazy to think about. We're going to move on to the Mets, who are a hot mess. Cohen the other day had a meeting with the media basically saying, we're not giving up, but it is getting late. I don't know how I feel about Max Scherzer anymore for this reason. You got $43 million uh, deal this season and a player option for $43 million next year. So you're clearly... You got a monster deal from a team looking to bring you in. To, they're trying to win a World Series. I don't understand. 
And no, you know what? I'm probably I'm not the right guy to say this because I did stuff when I played and brought topics to conversation with the media that I, and when I look back, I shouldn't have, which is exactly what he did. No one should have any concept or clue that the New York Mets uh, and Max Scherzer are talking about possibly being traded. He's talking about waiving his no trade clause. Why would you let that get out? Number one, uh, because basically you're having a conversation with and the 25 guys you're in the room with, you're basically saying, yeah, this sucks. And and I might, under the right circumstances, let them deal me. And I don't for a second think he's doing it to help the Mets unburden their payroll. Mets are 17 games back of the Braves and eight and a half out of a wild card. The only issue, if you're a Mets fan, the only reason there's optimism is they're talented enough to win 19 out of 21. But Scherzer and Verlander both need to kick it in gear if that's going to happen. They're talented enough to do that. And, and I saw some comments around Buck Showalter. It's got nothing to do with the manager. Nothing. You can only write. And, and I know he's a guy who is sleeping probably 20 to 40 minutes a day uh, trying to find every possible fix and solution. So uh, could I see Scherzer being traded? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not sure how eager I would be to have him on my team if that's the conversation he wants to have around their struggles. Pretty amazing stats here real quick. The Nats have not swept a series in their last 90 series. That's right around 270 games. They have not swept a series. Now, there's a lot of two-game series mixed in there, probably many more than four-game series, but that is the longest streak in history, in Major League Baseball history, uh, after the Philadelphia Athletics from 1914 to 1917 did 89 straight series. Yeah, they suck. The stat I found about Washington that blew my mind this year, they're 13 and 27 at home. Kind of like Oakland. And yeah. when you suck, you suck. Yeah. You just suck. It doesn't matter whose field you're playing on, you suck. You know, in the conversation of maybe some of the better players in the history of the game, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Reached his uh, 50 RBIs with a home run in Tuesday's game this week against the Twins. He joins Joe Morgan as the, again, and I say this almost every show, when you're talking about something in forever or one of two guys ever, you're talking about a sport that's over a century old, so you're talking about something that is dramatic. And this is not a made-up kind of stat in the sense that he joins Joe Morgan as the only players in history to have 50 runs batted in and 35 stolen bases before July since RBI became an official stat in 1920. We're seeing an upsurge in, in stolen bases as we knew we would. RBIs are met much dependent upon the lineup you're hitting, where you're hitting, and the lineup that's around you. But still, uh, we're talking, what, 103 years? Uh, two guys have done it. And for the kids out there watching, Kurt, Joe Morgan was the best second baseman of his era by far. Joe Morgan was a Bill James idol long before sabermetrics was a thing. He was an MVP second baseman who had power, had speed, could play, had the cool little elbow tick too. Just a horrible commentator, I think, but Hall of Fame player. Hall of Fame player and one of the best ever. So that's that's rarefied company. Uh, all right, so... Uh, I don't know if this was a suggestion, but I actually really, really liked it. You kind of brought up greatest players ever, and somebody tweeted me, what about of his teammates? So right. that's where we started this. So I'm going to give you my all-time lineup, and I am not going to factor in personality or character, which would have been an enormous piece of any team I built. But 
I went down here and did this lineup and like, I played with some pretty good players, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, I'm not fat because if I, if I'm factoring character, Darren Dalton's my catcher all day, we, but if I'm factoring in the most physically talented players, then, then it's a little different conversation. So uh, starting behind the plate is uh, for me is Benito Santiago. Uh, and I'm, I'm taking all these guys in their prime, right? Probably Veritek Dalton, the close second, but Santiago's my catcher. Think about this. My first baseman is Jeff Bagwell. 1A is Eddie Murray, right? So my first baseman either either way is a Hall of Famer. My second baseman, I had a lot of great ones, but my second baseman is a Hall of Famer. Craig Biggio is my second baseman. So I've got two Hall of Famers out of my first three picks. Uh, my shortstop, I don't know if you know this guy. He played in the 80s and 90s. Cal Ripken Jr. will be my shortstop. How about my left side of my infield? It's Cal Ripken, and on his right is Scott Rowland at third base. And I had a lot of other good – Matt Williams. I had some other really good third-base candidates. And I'm I'm kind of digging my outfield a little bit. And left well, is me. Well, before you get out of the infield, Kurt, not only were they unbelievable at the plate, how many oh, gold yeah. gloves are there in there? Right, right, right. <laughs> Bagwell, Biggio, Ripken, and Roland is my infield. How Suck many it. gold gloves are there? Suck it. And out to the outfield. Uh, Manny in left. That's pro- and In this lineup, he's hitting third, but just barely. In center, uh, Steve Finley. I still think one of the more underrated. And I say that, but Kenny Lofton is a close second. Uh, I played with Kenny in AAA, but Kenny's a legitimate, uh, one of the most embarrassing Hall of Fame ballots in history that he was off of it after one. Finley with Lofton there. And again, there's going to be other guy. Brady Anderson was a great center fielder. I'm going to jump the shark here. Uh, In right field, I'm going to go with Jim Eisenreich, who was a supremely talented player. And with a close runner-up, and in, in, uh, Trot Nixon and Reggie Sanders are right there. Danny Batista could have been in that mix, I think, if he'd been an everyday player. But but I'm going to go with Izzy. And who's my DH? Poppy. Yeah, Poppy. So think about this lineup. Benito Santiago, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Cal Ripken, Scott Rowland, Manny Ramirez, Steve Finley, Jim Eisenreich, David Ortiz. Yeah, I'm winning. You're winning a lot. And and a lot. There ain't going to be a lot of balls falling in the outfield or rolling through the infield. No. And nobody's stealing bases on me. Nobody. But it was kind of cool to do that because, and I know I left names off. And like I said, I went pure physical ability. But it was kind of cool to think that on my teammate list is one, two, three, four, counting backup guys, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Hall of Famers, six who are in, uh, Manny, seven. Uh, seven Hall of Famers in my starting nine. Yeah. By the way, uh, I'm actually, you know what? I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a change. I just thought of this. My center fielder is Dale Murphy. I played with Murph for a year. He was in Philadelphia. Murph in his prime, MVP. Yeah, Dale Murphy is my center fielder. So he kicks Finley down a notch. But like Dale Murphy, who should be in the Hall of Fame as well. Um, I unfortunately got the tail end of Murph's career, but uh, we've been lifelong friends and one of the Greatest human beings I've ever known. Wow. Dale, and I guarantee you there's other names like that that I've I've thought about and totally because I had Luis Gonzalez and left uh in Arizona. Greg Jeff, I had a ton of guys in and out of Philly, uh, one-time guys, you know, Ron Gant, but different guys. So yeah. And I had a lot of good second basemen too. So there it is. Santiago How many runs and Barrett. Does that lineup score? Like even uh that's ridiculous. Yeah, I I have an undefeated season. I think if I pitch in front, <laughs> yeah, I got Ver- I got Santiago with Veritek on the bench, Bagwell and Murray at first. So Eddie Murray, the switch hitting Hall of Famer, is coming off the bench as a bat in the late innings. 
Biggio, Ripken, Roland, Manny. I got Finley and Lofton as pinch runner, pinch hitters with Murph in center. Eisenreich uh, with with uh, Reggie Sanders, Trot, and then Ortiz, the agent. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. kicking your ass all day long. <laughs> all day long. Hey, guys, listen up. Uh, Tuesday, July 4th, we are going to be playing the first half of the Peter Gammons interview. I don't know what to say about it. Well, I'll say for baseball fans, it's two men who have lived the baseball life but also love the game. And that love of the game comes through during the entire conversation. I really enjoyed the conversation. So we're going to next week, I'm out of town running and doing stuff. So we're going to run the Peter Gammons interview, I believe, uh, Tuesday and Friday, two parts. And then uh, I'll be back the following week. But you can find, remember, guys, the podcast can now be found anywhere you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple, any place you get your podcast. We're everywhere. Outkick.com. Uh, you can find it on that website, our website as well. Uh, Spotify, like I said, anywhere you find your podcast, you can find the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Spread the word. Bill, you have a wonderful July 4th weekend. And now that I have a son who's a United States Marine, the holiday takes an even cooler meaning for me. So That's excellent. Have a great weekend, brother.